right, we're glad to have you with us today for the time that we can be together to be able to share God's word and to be able to be encouraged with others. And so that's a great opportunity that we have. As you know, we've been working through this book of Galatians. It's a great book. Before we go any further, though, if there's any of the children that need to go out, right out, this is the way to go. We can have them come right over where they're at. Going, going, going. Gone. Let's pray. Lord, how faithful you are. How you show your mercies in so many ways. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you in times of famine, times of struggle, times of great times, to know that we have a great Savior. And we know, Lord, one day we'll be with you forever. And for all that, we're thankful. So, Lord, help us as we go through this passage. We recognize, Lord, that this one today is a little bit strange, and that's why we need you, Lord, to help us to understand the scripture that we had and that you've given us that is still your word that still speaks to us today. So be with us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we are now moving along in the book of Galatians, and we're getting relatively close to the end. And in this section, it's very interesting because it kind of the way Paul uses it, it's interesting that he does this in certain ways. It's like, well, I never would have done it this way, or I probably would have not done it that way, but I think God was leading him in whatever way it was, because God has certainly used him in that. Just to remind you from last week what we were doing, remember last week we were coming through the end of this beautiful little section where Paul was talking about the fact that we, even though some of us were not Jewish, some of us came from terrible backgrounds, but if you know Christ and you are, quote, in Christ, you belong. There's a place for you and that God will work in your life. And you see that last section. And because you are sons, he's talking about God has sent his spirit into his son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but, a, but of a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. It's an amazing, that little passage is so short, but so important, saying there's room for you. There's place for you in God's group, group. And he said, it's here for you. And so what he does here as he moves now into this next section that we're in right here is kind of a little bit strange because there's like two parts to this passage. The one is a little bit easier than the other one. The one that follows it is a little bit deeper and a little bit more difficult. And I would give you the saying, hey, hang on, because it is an interesting passage, even though it does seem a little changed, a little bit different for us. So notice what's happening here. The passage here is Galatians chapter 4, section 8 to 20, is mostly what we're going to be working on. But what we want to work on here is to recognize here the Apostle Paul is dealing with this issue. And the issue that he's dealing with is very difficult. Here we call it part one because of Paul's disappointment. You know, sometimes we think of people like Paul and people like that and these wonderful people that have done all these things over the time. We forget that they get discouraged. They go through hard times. They go through things where it just seems like, why am I doing this? Why should I even keep going? Why do I stop? Or why do I even not even do this? But what happens here with Paul's disappointment, he's thinking about what's happening. 
the Apostle Paul has done so much to bring so many people to faith in Christ. The church is growing. The church is spreading. People are coming to find Christ. And yet Paul is discouraged. Notice what he says. But in the past, in this passage when he talks about here, he starts off by saying, here's what's happened. He said, but in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved by the things that by nature are not God. Now, I want to take again, this passage is not necessarily easy, but is good. So stay what he's saying. He said, in the past, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God. Now, we know in the time of the Romans and the Greeks, there are all kinds of gods and goddesses and weird groups and strange things. And he said, you know, back in that time, but most of them were maybe Gentiles who had now come to faith in Christ. He said, you were enslaved to these things. And he says, no. He goes, no. He says, listen, but now, notice that phrase, but now, since you know God, and then he adds this little phrase, or rather have become known by God, he's making the point, God is always previous. He's always previous to us, and he knows what's going. But he's asking this question to these people. He's saying, tell me, how is it possible so quickly that you've turned away from the gospel? And why would you do that? Would you want to go back to the way it was before when you had all these different gods and goddesses and weird things and crazy things you do? Do you want to go back to there? I've got a feeling they're kind of going, I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit, but it's weird. And so notice what he says. He says, he says so you, can you turn back? Do you want to go back to those weak and bankrupt elemental forces? We've heard that phrase before about elemental forces, believing that there's things out there in the world, things out there like come out and they can hurt you or, or help you. And what he's saying here is saying, do you want to go back to that? Is that what you want to go back? Do you want to be enslaved by them all over again? Why would you want to do that? When you've come to the freedom that comes in the gospel, why would you in any way want to come back what it was before? And so Paul and good Jew would say, oi, they, what is wrong with these people? Why would they want to go back when God has just freedom through what has had? So he said, do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? Well, not. You observe special days and months and seasons and years. And Pastor there is a little bit strange. He seems to be saying, okay, there's certain things that we do. For example, we know eight's kind. They've been so gracious to us, and we're so glad that we can work with them. And they have a thing coming up just in a few weeks when the Pesach is coming, and it's a great opportunity. And he says, here, look it. He said, you observe special days. That's what they do, and particularly here, months and seasons and years. And he said, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can put the cart in front of the horse and turn things from the opposite way it ought to be. And so what he's telling them is, listen, it's good that you have these you know, different times and we have celebrations, but if it becomes only celebrations and all that and we don't share the gospel, what's the point? And so he says in that little section, I'm fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Can you imagine how sad that must be for Paul to say, I have poured my life into the life of these people here. And he said, really? Really? He said, you're, you're going to do this? And so note what he says, I beg you, brothers, because he said, like me, I also became like you. What does that mean, be like you? It could be a couple of different meanings, but probably the most significant way 
is he's saying, you could be like me in the sense that I have come as a believer to realize that I have freedom now, freedom from the law, freedom from what they're telling me to do, freedom to follow Christ and what he's called us to do. He said, you've not wronged me, Paul's saying this to these people. He's discouraged by these people. He feels really bad that these people have turned away. He said, you've not, he says, you've not wronged me. He says, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you, now notice this, because of a physical illness. Over decades, decades, and years, people have asked the question, well, what was the illness? The answer is, nobody knows. And that's probably just as good. People would say, well, what are the possibilities? Here's a couple. One of them would be, for example, people had problems with malaria. Where Paul was working at, particularly along the coast, where you have all these insects, you had people that were getting malaria, and malaria was miserable. Malaria is a terrible thing to have. Imagine what, you know, today there's a lot they do for it. But not then, they did not. And so when people had malaria, it was miserable. That's another one. Other ones, what Paul seems to be telling us, too, is that he had physical issues, problems with his eyes, ophthalmia, I guess it's called. And what they're saying, it's like, you know, you just feel terrible, and you get this crust in your eyes, and it's really kind of ugly, and nobody wants to have it. And he's saying, you know what? He said, I'm he said, listen, he said, you did not despise me or reject me by my physical condition. Was it, was it a trial for you? He says, on, contrary, on the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What an interesting way he describes that. He said, listen to that. He said, you had so much love for me, so much care for me. So, you, know, you know I had troubles. You know there were struggles. You know there was issues I had to deal with. And he said, what happened here? What happened that you would suddenly turn away? When I'm the one that brought you to Christ so you could see that God was bringing to you in a right relation with God that you'll have for the rest of your life and the rest of eternity. eternity. And so he says, what happened to this sense of being the blessing that you had? What does he quite mean by that? I think what he's saying is saying, you know, what happens when a person comes to, great, comes to the Lord? One of the things is there's joy. Joy ought to be something that's in the life of a real believer. There's joy that's knowing that we have got our life, our, that we are now when God's people. And so he's saying, what happened to the sense of the blessed you had? For I testify to you that if possible, why you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Like, whoa. I don't think anybody actually tore their eyes out, but he's using a metaphor to say, this is how much I love you. He said, they are enthusiastic about you. Who's the they? He's saying, these other people people who claim to be prophets, people who have another kind of gospel, who say the gospel you have is not sufficient enough. You just need to go with me. I'll tell you where to go. You don't need to listen to Paul anymore. That's old-time people things. You don't need that. And Paul's saying, uh-uh. Notice what he says. Now, it's always good to be enthusiastic about good. And he said, and just when you want, he said, and notice what he said, just when I'm with you. And he says, listen a second. My children... I am suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. I love that little phrase. That little phrase, I mean, just look at that. When he talks about that, my children, I am again suffering labor pains to you until Christ is formed to me. Now, I can't say I've actually been through that kind of thing. Um, many of you have. But when he uses that example for it, 
He wants us to think about it. What in that age before we had good doctors and who could do stuff, you can imagine it was for a woman, particularly out in the you know, fields or something who has a baby, how painful that would be. Again, I have no idea what it's personally like, but I can have to think what it would be like. And his point is what he's saying here is, as my children, again, I'm suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. In other words, he's saying, listen, I want to do this. He said, I'd like to be with you right now and, and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. And what I find so interesting in that phrase is when he says, I don't know what to do for you. It's amazing for him saying, here's the great apostle, the apostle Paul, and, and he's like, Oy vey, what's happening here? I don't even know what to do. I, I don't even know what to do. It's, it's hard for me to believe that these people would so quickly move away from the gospel. The reality is we say it's time to give the hard truth. So Paul needs to be able to say, you know what? I can tell you what, what you're doing is wrong. You are destroying the gospel. And Paul would say, no way, we can't do that. That's definitely what we do not do. So notice what he says here. This, that's the first section we have it in here. In Galatians, we go on in this next one. It's very different from where we're at. And I want to just make it really clear. This is a passage that you might say, what in the world is he talking about? Okay, stay with me. There is something coming out of here that I think you'll like. Whether you like it or not, it's God's word, so we'll keep it anyway. <laughs> Notice what it is. It's a story about two women predominantly. And it's about two women and about two covenants. And this is the second part we talked about here. And notice what he says, tell me, those of you who want to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Now notice, if you would, this story of the two women is really important. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Now, if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just listen. Uh, or if you have somebody sitting next to you, you can do it. Because what we're just seeing in this story right here is to understand what Paul was saying here is you have to have a little bit of a background and to know what does this have to do with Sarah and Hagar? What do I care about these two women? What's the point? And Paul's saying it's a great point. It's a thing that's very significant what he's done. So many of you know very well about the story that we're talking about. Some of you know it a little bit. Some of you don't know it at all. And that's okay. Just listen for the next minute or two. This is chapter 16. By the way, chapter 15, the previous chapter, is the one, one of the most famous in the Bible. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's 15, but here we're in 16. Abram's wife, Sarai, later called Sarah, had not borne any children for him. Stop for a moment. In the ancient world, to be that, that and not have a child, that was a huge struggle. We think of today about women who maybe can't have a child and how hard that is. But in that culture, in that time, it was expected you'd have not only one child, but many children. And so it's Abraham, wife Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she had owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. That's one of the two women in the story. And he said she had a slave named Hagar, Sarai, also called now Sarah, said to Abraham, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. He's saying, listen, honey, I'm really sad about this. I know you can't have a baby, but 
I think Hagar could. She's young. She could have a baby, and at least you'd have a baby. Kind of baby, your baby and my baby, right? Wouldn't that be great? As you know the story, that didn't turn out that well. Anyways, it says in verse 10, that happened after Abram had lived in the land in Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Notice what it says, and she became pregnant. She treated her mistress with contempt. I can just imagine. Here's Sarah. She's barren. She can't have a child. But there's Hagar strutting around. Belly's getting bigger. I'm having a baby, and you're not. Can you imagine what that would be like? And so to have this, to say this, she said, he slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she realized that she was pregnant, she treated her mistress in contempt. You, said Abram, you're responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and ever since she's been, uh, that she was pregnant, so she's treated me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Poor Abraham, nothing he can do in this one. He's, this is, he said, and so Abram replied to Sarah, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want to do to her. And as you know, the story, it goes on, and God finally works with them, and both for both of them. But notice again, take and come back to our passage that we're here. This gives you an idea of how important it is in that culture in this time. He says, go back to here, tell me, those of you who want to be under the law, don't you want to hear to what the law he talks about? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Keep that in mind. He had two sons, one by a slave. That's Hagar we just talked about and another by a free woman. Paul doesn't claim it, but it actually he is talking here about Sarah because she is ultimately going to be the one of the promise, the one who does give a promise. What, a 100-year-old woman going to have a baby? No, it's going to happen. Yeah, guess what? It just happened. Notice what he said. And another by a free woman, verse 23, but the one by the slave was born according to the impulse of the flesh, that desire to have a baby. And he said, by the slave, by the flesh, while the one by the free woman, okay, talking about Sarah, by the free woman, she was born as a result of a promise. The promise of God of saying, you're going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I'm 100 years old. God said, yeah, you really are. And everybody said, never happens. It happens now because God keeps his promises. And so in that passage, he said that free woman was born as the result of a promise. And what he does here is a little odd. I need to be clear. Notice this. He says these things that he's talking about are illustrations. He recognizes kind of an allegorical thing of describing what this is going on. These things are illustrations. For the women represent the two covenants. The God had made the covenants that we can talk about at Sinai. He said one is from Mount Sinai, and it bears children in slavery. Again, going back to Hagar. In verse 10, then verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Jerusalem as it is today, as the Jewish people are even to this day, people who are not believing the gospel. And notice what he says though, for she, Hagar, is in slavery with her children. Now verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. Notice that phrase, but the Jerusalem above is free and sees our mother. It's saying, here's what it is. With the coming of Christ, Jesus is our Messiah. 
He's saying, you know that Jerusalem? They are maybe our Jewish friends are looking to the gospel. Excuse me, they're looking for the time when, Jesus, when it will come, when the Messiah will come. But he's saying, you know what? It's a different thing. With the coming of Christ, everything has changed. But the Jerusalem that above, that's what God has given us. He said, we are free. And he says, and she, she's our mother. The mother of what we call the church, the church that we're in right now. It's the church that gives us now the opportunity to be worshiping here, to know God, to serve God. And so it may be a strange passage, but you can see how Paul, in a very interesting way, was able to take that, make it into a story, and say, how do two women ultimately bring us to the point of saying God by his mercy means we're free. We're no longer, you know, have to be controlled by the law. And we, the church, the Lord, is our mother. And then there's a several couple passages, just one quick one that he does, taken from the Old Testament. For it is written, rejoice, childless woman. And it goes back to that idea, childless woman, who does not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many more numerous than those of the woman who is and has a husband. Now, he goes back to this real quickly. Stay with me. We're almost done. He says in verse 28, Now you brothers, talking about us as believers, now you brothers, like Isaac, not like Hagar, like you, like Isaac, are children of the promise. I love that phrase. You're children of the promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one according to the spirit, saying what was going on for the early church, being those people going against us, going against the early Christians. And so he says, the persecuted one was born according to the Spirit, so also now. In other words, there's still struggle going on. And on verse 30, he says, but what does the scripture says? He says, well, I'll tell you what you do. He says, drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave man will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Again, talking about Sarah. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slaves, but we are the free woman. So this passage is interesting, it's strange, and it is God's word. And it still speaks to us. It reminds us again of how, going back to the beginning of our story, how dangerous it is. Beware of turning back to your old ways. That's what Paul was talking about in the first section. As a pastor over many years, I've had several times where I've saw a person that came to faith in Christ. They were excited about the gospel. They're going to Bible studies. They're doing this. And after a while, somebody said, hey, has anybody seen Frank recently? <coughs> yeah, you know, I, I heard he's not going to church anymore. Like, what? Frank? Frank's been with us the whole time. Uh, what happened here? Because what we see, there's so often our person who hates us, that is, the one, the evil one, does everything he can to destroy us, to turn us away from the gospel. Beware of turning back to your old ways. He says, and you came to, came to Christ. He said, what are you going to do? You've got to be careful. By the way, for us who are elders, it means something to us. Saying, Are we aware of what's going with our congregation, with our people? Are they, maybe are there people in our church that are, drifting away because the fact that other people have come and said there's something more exciting, another guy who looks better. Are we making sure that we're doing what's right with them to make sure that they know what the gospel truly is? Second, we're done with this. 
said, live as free spirit-filled children of the promise. This passage, I admit, it's unusual, but it speaks to us that we are the people of Sarah. We're the daughters of Sarah by God's grace, and we, by the power of the Spirit, are filled with the children of the promise. Father, we thank you for this passage. Lord, we know it's a hard one, but Lord, it is your good word, and for that we are grateful and we'll give you all the praise and glory. We ask this now and give you great praise in Jesus' name. Amen.